Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. I want to continue our study into the things of, of uh, doctrine, uh, things that we believe, so that we have a foundation upon which uh, to, to live. We've been looking at confessions and creeds to give us Scripture says, and uh, so that we, you know, we, we have that foundation because there's just a lot of false teaching out there. Now, the confessions and creeds, you know, I looked at several different ones. We don't, don't necessarily agree with everything that they say or how they summarize things, but at least it's a good uh, start. Um, and so I want to continue talking about God tonight. Before I do, I just want to share, I was reading this story about a Christian uh, businessman who had some family friends uh, come from India to spend some time with them in their home in California. And then this Indian family had to do some traveling for business. So they left their 11-year-old daughter with the businessman and his family for a time. And Sunday came around, and so they took this young lady to church. Being Hindu, she was very curious about the church and the Christian faith. And after the service, you know, and they were returning home for, for lunch, the businessman asked the 11-year-old, you know, what she thought about the service. And, you know, being a kid and being new to Christianity, she was confused about them, some things. And, and she replied, well, I don't understand why the West Coast wasn't included when they talked about God in the service. The West Coast? What in the world? The businessman had no idea what she was talking about. So, you know, he kind of prompted her, you know, what, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, they, they talked about in the name of the Father and the Son and the whole East Coast. That one's for Chelsea right there, that bad joke, because she loves my bad dad jokes and I told it. But I, I, I told that bad dad joke because it's easy for an outsider to get very confused about the Trinity, what we claim about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. But let's face it, even we as Christians, we believe in the Trinity, we know we believe in the Trinity, we can even get a little confused about what or who the Trinity is. I mean, we understand, like, what it, the description of the facts. Okay, so God is one in nature, but within the Godhead, there are three persons who are separate and distinct, and yet they are one in essence, one in nature, one in character. So let's face it, we, we, we hear those words and we're like, okay, I understand one nature, I understand three persons, but how does it go together? That's about as clear as mud for our finite minds. Well, when we talk about God being Trinity, we have to tread very carefully with what we say and how we say it because it is very easy to twist words into meaning, so, and you don't even intend to, but I mean, one, one little slip and you're kind of going into the area of heresy because you know, we consider that human words fail sometimes at being able to fully describe eternal truths, but we do the best we can. As one theologian from yesteryear said, 
He said, no language is rich enough, no words are significant enough to declare this profound mystery which the understanding of men and angels cannot comprehend, nor the tongue of men and angels express. If all the saints and angels in heaven and earth should sit in council and communicate their notions to one another about this argument, they would acknowledge this mystery to not only be inexplicable and unspeakable, but inconceivable and incomprehensible. It is big for our finite minds, and yet we have to try to attempt to describe this mystery because it is a very important biblical truth. And we find that a lot of the cults and a lot of the false religions, this is one of their biggest sticking points. The concept of the Trinity, you will find that the cults and the false religions, they deny the Trinity. In some way, shape, or form, now they deny it in, from different angles and different things, but they deny it. But the Bible is clear. They don't, the Bible does not use the word Trinity. Well, there's, not a lot, there's a lot of concepts that the Bible doesn't have a word, but we, to understand the concept, we give it a word. Trinity, tri-unity, three, united in one. And so we walk a very fine line in how we describe this mystery, this great mystery, so that we don't fall into some of the errors that the cults hold and you know, kind of do it so unknowingly. So as one author states it, we have to be careful to, to abstain from terms of, and he gives a whole list, you, you gotta be careful to abstain from terms of diversity and difference which could take away from the unity of the essence of the Godhead. We gotta abstain from terms of separation and division, which could take away the simplicity of that essence. We have to abstain from terms of disparity, which could take away the equality of the three persons. We have to abstain from terms of discrepancy, which could take away of the, similar, the similitude, is the word that they use, of the divine nature or the persons. We have to abstain from terms of singularity, which takes away from the commonness of the divine nature of the persons. We have to abstain from terms of unity in, in a certain way, which could take away from the three persons, the number of persons in the Godhead. We have to abstain from terms of confusion, which takes away from the order of the persons. We have to abstain from terms of solitariness, which takes away from the communion of the persons. And so it's wise to be very careful how we describe it, other than saying we believe in one God. This one God is three persons, but they're distinct persons in one nature. And we have to be careful. I know we like to use analogies to try and describe the Trinity, but every analogy falls short in one way, shape, or form. And sometimes the analogies we use accidentally describe heresies that the church fought against years ago. As one author noted about the common analogies that we use about the Trinity, you know, the first popular analogy describes the Trinity to be like water, one substance that takes three forms, ice, water, and steam. The strength of this analogy is that it highlights that all three members of the Trinity share one essence. However, it fails to show three distinct parts existing at the same time as water cannot exist in all three states at the same time. This analogy actually illustrates the heresy of modalism, which argued that there was one God who just revealed himself in different modes. 
but God could only take one form at a time, according to modalism. So sometimes God was the Father, sometimes God was the Son, sometimes God was the Holy Spirit, just depending on what was going on, according to the modalism heresy. And unfortunately, that's what the water analogy describes. But the baptism of Jesus clearly describes that all three distinct members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, exist at the same time, at the same place. So we can't use water. The second popular analogy depicts the Trinity as like a man who is once a son, a husband, and a father. One man with three different aspects of himself based on who he is relating to. If he's relating to his dad, he's a son. Relating to his wife, he's a husband. Relating to his son, he's a father. Though some think it's a better illustration than the water, it also fails to show the distinctness of the Trinity as each aspect cannot exist independently. And then the third common analogy, which is attributed to St. Patrick of Ireland, I don't know if that's true or not, just because, but it stay, you know, th this analogy states that the Trinity is like a three-leaf clover, St. Patrick, with three separate leaves connected by one stem. Now, the strength of this analogy is that it highlights the separateness of the three persons while still remaining unified whole. However, it fails to show three truly distinct parts capable of functioning independently of one another. In essence, it illustrates that each member of the Trinity is only partially God, not fully God, and that they cannot act independently of one another. And this analogy illustrates another heresy that was from church history, the heresy of Arianism. Arianism said that, God, that Jesus was a lesser deity, Jesus was not full deity, the Holy Spirit wasn't full deity, things like that. But we believe in one God, three persons, all three persons are fully God, completely God. And now the creeds and confessions of the church do what they can to define the mystery, but they cannot explain the mystery. And so I want to read from the Second London uh, Baptist Confession what it says, kind of use that as the springboard. And uh, they, on the prayer sheet, there's a piece of paper that connected that should have that with Scripture that I'm using this evening. But this is what, how these people summarize scriptural teaching about the Godhead. And this is what it says. This divine and infinite being consists of three real persons, the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three have the same substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence without this essence being divided. The Father is not derived from anyone, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. All three are infinite without beginning and are therefore only one God who is not to be divided in nature and being. Yet these three are distinguished by several distinctive characteristics and personal relations. This truth of the Trinity is the foundation of all of our fellowship with God and of our comforting dependence on Him. Yeah, that's clear as mud, isn't it? Now, we know some things that the Bible is clear on. The Bible is clear there is one God, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, only one, not multiple. And yet the Bible also testifies 
that there are three persons that share the divine nature because it makes several references within the New Testament that shows that the three are one or that, you know, there are three persons within the one. For example, you know, something like 2 Corinthians 13, 14 talks about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to be with you all. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We see three members of the Trinity on display in passages like in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, referenced earlier, the uh, baptism of Jesus, where it says, after Jesus was baptized, just as he was coming up out of the water, the heavens opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my one dear son, in him I take great delight. Or other translations, you know, in him I am well pleased. All three members of the Trinity there at once, distinct and yet united. Three persons, one nature. Now the confession states that the three persons within the Godhead have the same substance, power, and eternity, each having the, the whole divine essence without this essence being divided. That means that the characteristics that you know, it, other confessions and creeds and even this confession earlier talk about that mention that this is true of the Godhead is true of each and every person within the Godhead in the fullness. It's not like when we talk about an attribute of God that it's kind of split between the three persons. When we talk about the love of God, it's not that, well, the Father has one-third of that love and then the Son has one-third of that love and then the Holy Spirit has one-third of that love and three one-thirds equals a whole. See, I do know math at least a little bit, but that's not how it works. When we talk about God being eternal, it's not like, well, the Father is one-third eternal and the Son is one-third eternal and the Holy Spirit is one-third eternal. Thus, one whole eternal being. What we believe, what we believe Scripture teaches is that every member of the Godhead is completely and utterly every characteristic that we say of God. The Father is 100% love. The Son is 100% love. The Holy Spirit is 100% love. You say the math doesn't add up. Well, we're not talking about math. We're talking about eternal matters now. The Father is 100% eternal. The Son is 100% eternal. The Holy Spirit is 100% eternal. They each fully share the divine nature. And the Bible testifies that each member of the Trinity is divine. It refers to each member of the Trinity as being God. Obviously, we could, you read the entire book, it says God the Father is God. But now where the heresies come from and where the arguments come from and where the false religions come from is when it comes to the Son and it comes to the Holy Spirit. But the Bible clearly states that both are God. For example, the Apostle John testifies in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was fully God, as the New English translation says, the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. The Word referring to Jesus, referring to the Son. 
He is God. We see Paul testify of the Son in Colossians 2.9, for in him, in Christ, in Jesus, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. It doesn't say one-third of deity. It doesn't say two-thirds of deity. All of deity lives in him. You look at the interaction that Jesus had with the religious leaders, and he is constantly being accused of blasphemy. Why? Because his, what he said was a claims to being God, being equal with God. As they would put it, for example, in John 10, 33, one of the many interactions with the Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders replied to him, because they're going to stone him. They said, we're not going to stone you for a good deed, because, you know, Jesus asked them, okay, what good deed are you stoning me for? We're not stoning you for a good deed, but for blasphemy, because you, a man, are claiming to be God. And so there is a testimony, Jesus, God the Son, is fully divine, is fully God. It, scripture also testifies that the Holy Spirit is fully God. One example is when Ananias lied to the apostles in Acts chapter 5. We see this testimony of Peter and see what Peter is equating here. Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds from the sale of the land. Before it was sold, did it not belong to you? And when it was sold, was the money not at your disposal? How have you thought up this deed in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. Wait a minute, in the prior verse, he just said you lied to the Holy Spirit. Now he said you lied to God. Exactly. Lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God because the Holy Spirit is God. But now if all three persons have all the same attributes, how is there a distinction between the persons? Well, I mean, this confession and other confessions and a lot of, of what is here kind of is taken from the Nicene Creed and, and other places. There is a distinction of persons. There is a distinction of roles. The Father is not generated. It says that the Son is eternally begotten, and it says that the Spirit proceeds from both Father and Son. They are unique, yet they are one God. When it says that the Son is eternally begotten, it means that both Father and Son are eternal, both share the same nature, and they have for all of eternity been in this relationship as Father and Son. This is confirmed in Scripture. For example, it's kind of a longer passage, but in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, the author of Hebrews, whoever it might be, you might argue it's Paul, you might argue it's Barnabas, you might argue it's others. But the author says, after God spoke long ago in various portions and in various ways to our ancestors through the prophets, in these last days he has spoken to us in a son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he created the world. The Son is the radiance of His glory and the representation of His essence, and He sustains all things by His powerful Word. And so when He had accomplished cleansing for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Thus He became so far better than the angels, as He has inherited a name superior to theirs. For to the which of the angels did God ever say, and now He's quoting the Old Testament, 
you are my son, today I have fathered you, or you know, other translations, today I have begotten you. And another place he says, I will be his father and he will be his son. So they have eternally, and you look at John 17 and other places, they have eternally been in this father-son relationship. But just because Christ is the son does not mean that in any way he's inferior to the father. It does not mean that he lacks any sort of attribute that the father has. I mean, we've already determined they're fully God. And yet, and here's one of those places I gotta tread very carefully, there is a willing subordination of the son to the father, even though both are equal in power, equal in nature, and equal in character, there is a willing subordination. Unlike what the Arians taught, Jesus was not some sort of created being that was just given a divine, a divine status. It wasn't given a medal saying, here, you're divine now. He's not an div inferior divine being. Jesus was always God. If he was not always God, he could not be our savior. And we'd still be in our sins. The creeds and confessions also state that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son for specific purposes. But we see, and you know, Jesus you know, spoke in, in the Gospel of John that he was sending the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is sent, proceeds from Father and Son. For example, John 15, 26, when the advocate comes, whom I will send you, from the Father, Father and Son, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. The Father sends him, the, Jesus, the, the Son sends him. John 16, 7, I tell you the truth, it is your advantage that I'm going away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit is sent by Father and Son. So does any of this matter other than, hey, that's deep theological stuff. Does any of it matter? It most certainly does because if we're not able to grasp at least the general concept of the Trinity, we're not able to enjoy God in his fullness. We're not able to enjoy God as he has revealed himself to us. We will not understand what is going on in scripture if we do not have this foundation below us. If we do not have this foundation, we will misunderstand God's work amongst humanity. And they work together as one God. You read Genesis 1, uh, verses 1 through 3, the you know, beginning of the account of creation. All three members are there. All members of the Trinity were a part of creation. Scripture testifies that all three members of the Godhead have a part in salvation. We might say that God the Father chose the way of salvation, the Son provided salvation, and the Holy Spirit applies that salvation to all who believe. So yes, this is very important. If the Holy Spirit is not God, we are not indwelt, and we are powerless against sin. If Jesus is not God, we have no advocate with the Father and we're still in our sin. Jesus had to be fully God and fully man, and that's a whole other discussion for another night, trying to figure that one out. 
But he had to be fully God and fully man if he was going to be the advocate, if he was going to be the go-between, if he was going to be the perfect sacrifice. He had to die as a man. But he had to, be, he had to be also be God in order to be that perfect sacrifice. And that's where the cults and the false religions and all of them fall short because they undercut who Jesus is. That's the, that's the big one. They undercut who Jesus is. And any Jesus that is not the Jesus found in Scripture is not a Jesus that can save, is not a Jesus that can help you. If you are without the Christ of Scripture, you are without hope, you are without peace, you are without grace. You are just without. And so, yes, it's very important that we know who Christ is fully. Not just theological stuff to, hey, I can pass a test or I can win at Bible trivia something or other. Is the Trinity easy to grasp? No. Theologians have been debating the minor details for thousands of years. But it's there. Scripture teaches it. And if Scripture teaches it, it's truth. And truth is very important in our day and age as truth is being twisted. Sunday I read, you know, from... Second John, and it talked about the Antichrist, the instead of Christ, the Christ substitutes that all the false religions that Satan is trying to put out there to draw people away. We need the Christ of Scripture. And we may not fully understand all of this, but what we do understand, and just the fact that we're not able to understand it fully, it causes us to praise him. It causes us to sit in awe of who he is. It causes us just to relish in how great our God is. And we want to pray that we are always reminded how great is our God. That's not just a Chris Tomlin song. That is just the truth. We have a great God, and we want to pray that those who don't know him would come to know him. We want to pray for those who are stuck in false religions. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.